This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Let me welcome him back to the show, my brother, Dr. Ian K. Smith. Welcome. Hey. Always, always good to be back. I just want to kind of, um, I don't want to stay in this lane. I want to talk about the doctors. We're having our 2000th episode. My new book, my new novel, The Unspoken's Out, I want to go there. But I just want to say this um, off of what you just said, Karen. I want to say that it is mystifying to me how people can hear words and see the same videos mm-hmm. and come up with a different interpretation of what they hear and see. And I was trying to figure out, is it, am I looking at it wrong? Is there, am I bringing a bias to it? Or are they unintelligent? Do they just not get it? Are they underexposed? Or is it that they simply choose to ignore it? And anyone who says, I've posted on my Instagram page, for example, that we need to come together. And this is a time that we ought to heal. And someone said, heal from what? Are you serious? Are you serious? I mean, my entire life, I have never seen the country this divided. And this isn't about Democrat and Republican and independent. We're going to disagree. Those parties have been in existence for forever. This is not about that. We've had Republican presidents. We've had Democratic presidents. And one side doesn't like the other side, but we still uphold, from what I remember, the fundamentals of a democracy. And the idea that people could be so angry, could be so determined to hold on to power, that you think it's worth challenging and demolishing the foundation of democracy, which is something that you always talk about. You talk about how this is a democracy and their freedoms and we don't want big government and we go around the world and police people when they don't have free and fair elections. And then here we are, supposedly the birthplace of democracy. And we are talking about not having a transition of power and we are firing people so we can put people in place who are going to try to basically put this country more at war with each other. Are we serious right now? That's what this is worth. I mean, listen, I'm just kind of trying to go back four years. Four years ago, when the Democrats lost, hmm, I don't remember anyone taking AK-47s and doing caravans in the street. I don't remember anyone saying, I'm going to fire um, top people in the Defense Department and put mine in. I don't remember anyone saying, oh, we're going to stop the General Service Administration from giving the transition money. Do you remember anyone saying that, by the way? But now we were saying all this kind of stuff in my whole life. In all the elections, by the way, the Bushes, the Clintons, the Obamas, we've never had this kind of dialogue that we're going to stand up and do all this stuff to stop the transition of power. And lastly, I want to say the idea, and I don't want to, this is just on my chest, I get it off. The idea that people think that it's okay to challenge votes from military, from from armed services people who are fighting for freedoms for our country, the idea that we want to challenge their vote and say that they committed voter fraud because they sent it in from an Air Force base and because you're not smart enough to know that that's not a fake address 
that that's how mail comes in and out of uh, out of the military bases? Seriously? That's what's happening in Nevada right now? Come on, you guys. We're better than this. We're better than this. And that's all I want to no, say. We're, we're, better than we're not, though. We're actually not Ian K. Smith. And I, I used to say the same thing, but I realized that that was a lie. We're not better than this. This is exactly who we are. So uh, I appreciate you. I appreciate you. I always have. We have lively conversations off mic, you and I. Uh, you are a superhuman being. And I'm really, really proud of you. And I read all your books, all your novels, because you can write your ass off. That's the other thing that that uh, what was it? Not the Divine Nine, because that, that's uh, uh, those are the those are the, the ancient nine. The ancient, the ancient nine, nine, man. You took me on a. I I got the hardcover. I bought that and read it. It was amazing. B- Blackbird Papers before that. Oh my God! Yeah. About a. I mean, I don't even want to tell y'all about it. Great novelist, not just helping us with our health of course you're on the doctors of course you're about to commemorate your 2000th episode tomorrow yes but the writing though the writing what is this new book please so this is the new book it's called the unspoken i will send you a copy um this is a novel it's the first in a series the main character is a guy named ash kane and basically it's a mystery that takes place in the city of chicago very quickly Ash Kane is a former detective with Chicago, the police department will not participate in a bad cover-up of a bad shooting and leaves the force, gets a settlement, becomes a private investigator and takes on very select cases in and around the city of Chicago. And the first case is a wealthy North shore girl who suddenly goes missing. Her very aristocratic mother comes down into the city and finds our guy, Ash Kane, who is in the South loop of Chicago for those who know it to hire him to find her missing daughter. And then the ride begins, twists and turns, ups and downs. We go down to the south side, to Englewood. We go to Lake Michigan. We go to the wealthy north side, to the west side. It's all over the city. It's a fun book. And I'm going to send you this. I know you're going to like this because this, this guy is tough, man. You're going like, to like Ash King. He's tough. I'm getting back into writing myself and I, and I said, you know, one of the, the, the blessings of being able to put pen to paper is to be able to tell stories about places that are unique to us. You know, you're a Chicago native. I'm from East Orange. I'm about to write some stuff that I give, give rise. And it's also, you know, a piece of history. Like you are telling the history of a place when yeah. we, when we write, you know, when we tell these stories, it's not, all, you know, it's it's also giving a new perspective to places that people thought they knew, especially a place like Chicago, where they think yeah. they know the people. They think they know oh, this is violence, is this is drugs, is gangs, it's 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 chaos. But you grew up in a Chicago that produced twin boys, both of them successful, you know, um, and I can go down a list of all of the great things that have come out of Chicago. I don't want to just do that, but I'm you personally. Tell us about yeah. what influenced yeah. you to do this book. Well, I was, I was, you know, as a person who loves literature like you do, I always felt that we were missing um, a character like Ash Kane, an African-American lead character who was a detective, who is smart, he's tough, he's sarcastic, doesn't take life too serious, he's handsome, um, and he has a little problems with in the romance department. He's an imperfect hero, and you're root for him. And I just said... Well, I like all these other guys. I like Jack Reacher. He's awesome, right? By Lee Child. Um, I like all these other characters. Uh, but where is the Ash Canes of the world? And why can't he be in mainstream fiction? You what know, about Alex Cross. He's well, great. Alex Cross is different. I mean, Alex Cross is written um, 
by someone else um, who may not have the pulse of what it's like to be Alex Cross and to grow up with Alex Cross, right? I mean, you know, I'm not saying that people can't write characters. You know, I have a Lithuanian character. I'm not from Lithuania. But when you look at the main character, you have to be able to vibe where that person came from. And you have to have the, um, the sentimentality and the awareness that that character has. Ash Kane, I can write Ash Kane because I know what it feels like to be in circumstances that he gets himself into. You understand what I'm saying? Um, he can read between the lines. And once again, I'm not making the argument that you can't write characters from other walks of life or other races, but I do believe, and I'm, this is my bias, I do believe that when you share a history and a way with a character, it's more authentic and it comes across the page more authentic. Can you, this, I'm fascinated by this and I'm actually on Amazon right now <laughs> looking at some of your other books. Um, can you speak a bit about what it is like to be a black writer who is writing for black audiences when we live in a world where, like had you not said that Ash Kane was an African-American character, my default presumption is that it's a white character, right? Like I, and I was, I was Karen, you and I have, have had conversations before about how like when you're, if, unless the character's race is mentioned, we default to reading characters as white, to encountering and experiencing them as white. And then you get like 15 pages in and it's like, and the mocha skin, whatever, you're like, oh snap, it completely shifts like how you even interact and relate with the character. Can you talk a bit about the value and, and what your experiences have been in writing for black people through a black voice and, and what that what value you place on that as an author? This is how I like to put it. Thanks for that question. I write books for everybody, for all audiences. And let me tell you why I say it that way. Just like I can enjoy white characters, Jewish mm. characters, German characters, why can't they enjoy black characters? That's right. So when I write my books, I expect everyone to enjoy it because the story is a good story. And mm. regardless of where you come from, you can enjoy a good twist, a good plot twist and a turn. You can enjoy characters from all walks of life. And I, in my whole life of reading books, I never only read books that had black characters because I'm a black person. I read books about everybody. I read Walter Mosley. I read Dominic Dunn. One of my favorite authors is Dominic Dunn, may his soul rest in peace. He's one of my favorite authors, okay? He was anything but a black writer, okay? So my presumption is, and my determination is, I'm gonna write characters, I'm not gonna hide their identity, right? Because sometimes as an African-American author, you're like, ooh, maybe I shouldn't like write this character. But no, 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 this is who the character is. This is a real character who, we, we have these kind of people in the world, why can't you still like them? And so the days are over when I only wanna talk to African-Americans because I think that they're going to understand my character. No, I'm writing for the world, the whole world to enjoy this story. I write, I read Swedish writers. I read English writers. They're wonderful. So that being said, the book, The Unspoken has become, uh, has got an option to become a TV series. So fingers crossed uh, it gets made. Uh, and I'm very clear. It's so funny you mentioned that. So the next book has already been written, by the way, it's called Wolf Point. It's book two of Ash Kane. And my editor gave me a design of the book cover. And I said, you know what? You can't really tell he's African-American. I said, you know, not that, you know, I'm not trying to plaster that, but the character is an African-American Lee clear. Why are we hiding his identity? Like, that's who he is, right? I mean, what, you know? And so I want you to make these changes so people understand that Ash Kane 
is an African-American character. Now, when you read about Ash Kane, guess what his girl says to him? You're the only one who can quote Biggie and quote Shakespeare. So he's nobody's fool either. This is a smart guy who went to great schools, who can work in any environment, Karen, like you and I can. We can go south, we can go north. We can get sit down in a stateroom. We can sit down in the back of a church. He has that level of comfort. So I don't want to hide who he is. And that is part of the story. That makes the story, I think, interesting is that you have this African-American guy navigating the streets of Chicago and giving you the real deal about Chicago, not what you always read in the media. And I think it's super important. This is why, you know, as a publisher, having that deal that I had with Simon & Schuster and publishing Chris Jenner and Kendall and Kylie and, you know, a couple of other white writers, you know, because I thought it was important also that you see a publisher can publish people who are not black because words are words. And, and as long as we, we, we allow these boundaries to contain us, is this how small we're going to be? And so I think it's super important that we write for everybody because Toni Morrison, you know, when she was, well, why don't you write about white people? And she was like, you don't ask white people, why don't they write about, you know, we write what we write and everyone should be. And this is the problem. I think that people don't read black folks are forced to, because of the schools that we go to, to read. I was an English major, Bronte and Dickens. And, you know, when you, when you get Shakespeare, I was, you know, I was going to major in that as a matter of fact, but you know, you are forced to, to see the world through all of these lenses. I remember Beowulf and freaking call it a wild. And I hated that book. I hated that book with a passion to this day. I hate that book. Right. But I, I, I had to read it. And then when I discovered, you know, Richard Wright and Baldwin and Morrison oh. and Maya oh. Angelou actually was my first introduction. That was one of the first black facing authors I ever read was Maya Angelou because my parents didn't force me to not write, read these things, you know, and I was about nine years old. But it's important because now you have such a broad perspective of everything. So you can't tell me about your experience. I've read your, I know I don't live your, in your skin, but I've at least made the effort to know who you are through many different iterations. I was a Stephen King fanatic, still am. Uh, so, so I thank you for expressing that. Well, and Karen, I got to also say to your point is that you're right. We read all these so-called great writers when I was a kid, but where were the African-American writers? One of right. the greatest writers of all time is James Baldwin. James Baldwin's absolutely a genius. And I discovered him not by reading. I was up late one night. I'll never forget it with my grandmother and she was watching a TV show and he was appearing on a panel. And I was a young guy, by the way, so I could barely understand what he was saying, but it was how articulate he was that caught me as a little young black boy. I was like, oh, look at this brother spitting like that. Whoa, he was just so articulate. And when the interviewer asked him a question, he was right on it. And what impressed me was his presentation. Once again, his words were too advanced for me. I didn't understand the whole ideology of what he was saying, but I was impressed that he was like that. So I learned him not because my teacher said, we're going to read Native Son, right? I didn't, my, my, no, I learned from TV. Then I started reading his work and was like, man, this is a bad brother. Like this brother is bad. Why haven't I learned about him? So I'm hoping that for my kids and their generation, that authors like me who write good stories, I don't write black stories. I write good stories that have black characters in them. They have white characters, Lithuanian, Asian, everybody. So don't label me just as a black story. Remember in the old days, Karen, and the bookstores, they used to have an African-American section. And I said to my publish, publisher, well, why can't I be just in the main section? Because this intimates that only black people want to read me? Really? Because I don't go to the movie stupid, theater and say, stupid. huh, I'm only going to watch black movies. 
I watch James Bond. There ain't no black movie. That, I mean, I watch everything. I ain't, so if I can enjoy all different types of art, why can't people also enjoy my art? I, I, you know, so I'm going to write my characters and, you know, people love my characters and like them. I'm going to keep writing them. I mean, that's just the way it is. 866-801-8255. Ian K. Smith is here. I uh, know he came here to talk about doctoring. Um, <laughs> but again, you know, because we are multifaceted and nimble, you know, they, we've always been conditioned, jack of all trades, master of none. You know, the fact that you are a doctor, the fact that you are a personality on television, also playing a doctor, being a doctor on television, you also an author, like the fullness of who we are needs to be explored. And I think we've been conditioned also to just stay in your lane, shut up and dribble. You know, you can only do these, these particular things as if we're not human beings. Like we have all of the ranges. You, to me, I think I, I've never gone to you for doctoring, but I think you're just as good a writer as you are a doctor. I'll put that out there. Cause I don't know. I've never had to use your services as a doctor. So I don't know. Shut up and just dribble. How about that? (laughs) Shut up and just dribble. How about that? How about that? And for someone to hear that comment and not understand what that comment is saying or how it feels to have someone to say to you, you know, all you can do is dribble a basketball, boy. So just shut up and dribble. That's what that comment is. Really? And you don't understand why that offends a whole class of people? You don't understand that? Yeah, you do. You understand that. You understand that. That's code. And you know that it's code. That's right. And you sit back and when you're silent about it, that's complicity. You're complicit when you're silent about it. That's a shame. That's really a shame. Why shouldn't he have an opinion? Why can't he have an, you know, all these pundits who are on TV, what gives them expertise? Do they have all have masters in political science? No, they have opinions. They articulate their opinions very well. So, you know, they get a chance to get on TV and talk about it. But lots of us have opinions. So my whole point about life is do what you want to do in life. Why should you define who I am or what I should do? This is my life. And I only have one of them, by the way. This is like my uncle always says, this is no dress rehearsal. I have one life. Let me do what I need to do. And by the way, just so you know this, part of my life is not trying to put you down either. My mission in life is not to put you down or not to make others feel less than me. My mission in life is to have a good time, to leave a legacy, to feel fulfilled, to be purposeful, to leave something behind so that future generations have a better existence than what we have now. That's the purpose of my life. But it's very interesting how some people think that it's okay to constantly put other people down. Does that make you feel better? When you can shove someone down, you feel taller? I mean, I don't get that mentality. It just doesn't, it just doesn't register with me. And the reason why I'm, I keep veering back into this is because we are at an inflection point in this country. We are at a real inflection point. And we have to decide which direction we're gonna go with. I know the direction I want to go in. And my direction, by the way, is not putting you down. You can disagree with me. I'm okay with that. We can disagree on taxes. We can disagree on immigration. We can disagree on all these different things. Defense, monetary policy. We can disagree with that respectfully. But there's a line. When you start saying I am less than human, we're not going to go back there. I am human. I am respectful. I follow the law. I work hard for what I have. I respect my neighbors, even though I disagree with you. But when you start talking about crossing the line and going back, you know, because, you know, make America great again. Oh, I see. Great again when? Back then? Is that what you're saying? Is that what you mean by make America great again? Because when did America stop being great? This is a great country. I love this country. So for me, since I was born, 
I think this has been a pretty great coach. It's not perfect, by the way. And we have flaws like everybody else. But you keep saying, make America great again. When did it go bad? Define that for me. No one can talk about that. Did, did it go bad when Obama was elected? Because an African-American guy got elected? Is that when the country went bad? You see, th this, this stuff has got to stop. And, and the idea that people feel emboldened. Today, I was on a show this morning, uh, uh, Jim and Sam. I'm on a show this morning talking about the 2000 episode of The Doctors, which I'm very excited comes out tomorrow. It's a great show. Please watch it. I'm talking about that. And some guy wants to get on the phone from New Mexico. Okay. And we opened the lines. I was talking about coronavirus and how I think personally that there are two ways of solving coronavirus. Either we're going to have to have a national shutdown for four to six weeks, or we need to have an effective vaccine and we need two thirds of the population to get it. And some guy wants to get on the phone from New Mexico and five seconds into his question, he wants to call me a moron. Whoa, 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 whoa. Uh-uh, uh-uh, you're not gonna disrespect me. I'm not gonna sit here and because I'm quote unquote the expert, quote unquote the celebrity, and you get to say what you wanna say to me. No, 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 no. You're gonna have a conversation with me, you're gonna respectfully, I don't call you names. And by the way, you're talking like a five-year-old, you call somebody a moron, you don't know me. I got two kids, I'm a grown man. You don't disrespect me like that. So sometimes you got to check people and let them know, no, we're not going to play this kind of game. We can, once again, we can disagree. But, you know, the idea that people in the last six months to a year have decided they're just going wild. They're going to say anything and do anything and mess people up in the Walmart parking lot. No, no, no. We're not going back to that. We're not going back to that. I'm just not having it. I'm just Chicago, not. Sorry, I'm no, no, no. Chicago can come out. And that's the other thing. That's the other nimble part that people are missing. <laughs> Don't be fooled by the degrees. This brother's from Chicago. Eight six six eight zero one eight two five five. Don't let the degree <laughs> fool you because I'm a grown man. I'm a grown man, and I'm respectful to you, Karen. You've never known me not to be respectful to people, even if I disagree. I'm very respectful. Yes, you are. And by the way, when people come to my Instagram page, and please come to my page at Dr. Ian Smith. Spell the doctor out. I A N Smith. Dr. Ian Smith. When people come to me for help, I don't ask you your political affiliation. I help everybody from all walks of life. They say, Dr. Ian, what about this? I'm happy to help you. We may disagree on stuff, but that's not what I'm here for. And so I've been a person who's been a universal helper to everybody. I just do. That's just who I am. And for people now all of a sudden to want to, you know, to just throw barbs at people and, 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 and try to hurt people. And I'm not, I'm not with that program. And, and at some point, some people got to stand up. We got to stand up and I got to stand up. I know I'm not a political person publicly, typically, but I have to say that at some point you have to stand up for what is right. Okay. That's just the truth of the matter. And I'm going to start standing up and saying to people what's right and what's wrong. And I told that call today. I mean, it's funny because Jim and Sam, you know, them, um, uh, they were like, man, Dr. E, we've never seen you like that before. <laughs> never. I mean, you've been on the show for 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm not going to be disrespected, you know, and I love you guys. I love coming on your show, but these people who are hiding behind a mic and a microphone that no one can see, you feel emboldened to talk jumping down. No, we're not gonna do that. Not gonna do it. So you mentioned something that really stuck out to me like the past six months to a year where people have just sort of decided they are coming out of the racism closet. They are here, they are racist and bold. <laughs> they are excited about it. And so uh, listening to your story about what happened to you earlier today on camera, I'm, I'm reminded about conversations that I've had with other black professionals, right? Who can do the same thing, as you mentioned, can sit in the, in the corporate boardroom and can sit in the black church and be right on beat and right on, and you hit all the points in every one of those spaces and are now having sort of these internal dialogues about what I'm not gonna take anymore. 
right? Like what I have had to take and I've sucked it up because I wanted a career. I wanted a house. I wanted a this. I wanted a, to be able to have all the things that I was raised as a Gen X or whatever person to believe that I had access to. And now Karen, not Karen, damn it. We got to change that name. <laughs> and yeah. now Call like, her Becky. Call her Becky. Becky, <laughs> and Becky and Ken are going crazy and I am no longer willing to tolerate it. And so there's this almost because the, the, the resistance muscles have sort of been squelched down for a bit because people were willing to take things, take microaggressions because they wanted to, to secure the bag, whatever that bag. And there ain't no shade in that and no, no judgment at all. I understand it. Okay. How have you been able to, to tap into the, the fortitude to be able to say, I'm not here for it. Here's what I'm gonna say in response to you. And because a lot of people are struggling with, I've achieved so much professionally and yet I'm so demeaned and I don't quite have the words. I don't quite know how to engage with these open white supremacists who are now bringing this to my office, who are bringing this to the parking lot when I'm in the Target trying to just get you know my coffee and get clothes for my kids. How are you able to manage both of those things and in, in still occupy comfortably the spaces in which you sit? Every night when I'm home, my family sits down to dinner and I got to look at my two boys mm. as a man and as a father. And I got to be proud that every single day that I go out and do what I got to do as a man. And I can't look at them in the eyes if I'm not being honest in my life. And you're right. We are taught such a small age. Just go along to get along because you don't want to jeopardize getting your paycheck. You don't want to jeopardize a promotion at work. That, when you really think about it, is one of the most oppressive mind states that there could be, where we, where we say to you, you should tolerate all of this unfairness and inequity so that you can get a little bit of a promotion. We're not even talking about, it's not like you name me CEO, by the way, you give me just a little promotion. Right. So I can see if you're giving me the whole enchilada, but you're not even doing that. And then, but we still go along. Those days have got to stop. And celebrities, celebrities who have the platform who have a very wide fan base have got to stand up and say, this is just wrong. This is wrong. You know what I mean? I'm not going to call anybody out, by the way, because I could. But some of our celebrities have really disappointed me and their unwillingness to stand up. And, and just for the record, guys, let's, people listening, before you go on my Instagram page and go off on my Instagram page, let me explain something to you. I am not saying that minorities or African-Americans should take from you not saying that we're not saying what you got we want to steal it from you and take it from you what i'm saying is we're just asking for fairness i'm just asking for a chance that's it and if i prove myself i should get the merits of my proof if i don't then i shouldn't but give me a chance right all i'm asking is for a fair chance at the seat of the table and i just think that we have come to a place in the country where non-brown, black and brown people are believing that, listen, anytime you see a Black Lives Matter protest in a small town in Southern Illinois, and it's all white people doing the marching, that says something to you. That says something to you. That says that some people realize what's wrong is wrong. It's just dead wrong. It's not about politics, right? I'm not saying to you, I'm trying to take your house from you. I'm trying to take your Mercedes Benz. I'm trying to take your Rolex. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is give me a chance to make mine fairly, fairly. And that's the issue. People like to, to, to switch this argument like it's a us versus them. It's either you or us. It's not that. We all can do it. 
Right, Karen? You got a radio show. Other people have radio shows. Because you have radio shows, does that mean that other people can't? No, there are plenty of opportunities for all of us. That's all I'm trying to say. And I just think that we as a country, we got to stick to it. I'm telling you, this is a moment where we can't let our foot off the gas. And once again, I'm talking about fairness. For those who want to say, I'm trying to talk always about race. I'm not talking about, when have you known me? I don't talk a lot about race. You don't. Right? I don't talk about race. But let's be honest. The stuff that has happened in this country is disgusting. If it happened to Mexican Americans or Asian Americans, I would feel the same way. It's disgusting. I would not want anyone to have that happen. To see kids in cages, okay? Those weren't black kids in cages. But to see kids in cages and ripped from the arms of their parents, that's disgusting. That's inhumane. And people have to use very simple terms. That is inhumane. That is animalistic. It's barbaric. Those are the real words. Stop trying to sugarcoat it and say, ah, you know, you know, uh, you know, they weren't here. All this stuff. No, no. Here we are, America. We're Christians. That's Christian. You think that's a, an act of Christianity? Kids screaming and yelling because their parents are being snatched from them. Come on, guys. Karen, I know you say we're, we're not. This is who we are. Let me say it this, this way. We can be better than this. How about Absolutely. that? We can that, uh, that, and that's my message. You know, we have a responsibility actually to create the world. And I said an opportunity in this chaos to create the world that we want to live in. And I think we can. I'm not asking you for anything because I have the skills to build a table. So I have a radio show, but other people have radio shows because I have a radio show because it's not just about me. Right. And if we all think collectively like that, you know, uh, you know, then then every a lot more people will have things not asking anybody for anything. We'll build it, build it ourselves. Just don't destroy it when we do. Stop with your jealous ass, uh, scared ass, you know, self. You know that you may not have the skills to do it. But if you watch somebody build something from scratch, from whole cloth, don't be mad and destroy it. That's all I'm saying. Leave us alone. Let us do our thing, live our best happy lives. Can you stick around, Ian? Because I want to talk more yeah. about what, what I'm going to experience with the doctors this uh, upcoming season. In okay, this, sure. this episode uh, tomorrow, 866-801-8255, even though all the lines are lit. Dr. Ian K. Smith is sticking around. And Laurie Daniel Favors is here. It's the Karen Hunter Show. Dr. Ian K. Smith, Afro State of Mind is here. We'll be right back. Rebuilding Black Wall Street, brick by brick. City to city. This is the Karen Hunter Show. On Sirius XM Urban View, Channel 126. Honor of Dr. Ian K. Smith, who is okay. I see your Chicago stanky leg. Welcome back. Hottest show in the galaxy. It's the Karen Hunter Show. We're here on Sirius XM Urban View. We're talking powers and becomes action. And I love, I love us so much. Um, and I love you. I love both of you. Uh, but I, you know, I, I love watching you over the years, Ian, because we, you know, we met at a point where, you know, our careers were you know, parallel in parallel universes, you know, yeah. and I watched yeah. you, I was like, damn, look at 
here you go. Look at him go. You know, and it was just nice to watch. You know, the same thing with Stephen A. on the other side. You know, it's like mm-hmm. both of y'all. And mm-hmm. it's interesting watching, you know, um, where we all are now and mm-hmm. where everyone's kind of come back to. Uh, and and I feel good about where we're going. So uh, tell me about the doctors because you're here to talk about the 2000 yeah. episode and the whole take back your power mission for the 13th right. season. Let me just button up the last segment before we move to doctors real fast. I have to do this. I want to say to people that life is very short and fragile and unpredictable. We never know when we're leaving this earth. And my approach to life always is that I want to leave the world a better place than how I got it. And that to not feel that way is very selfish. And I don't care how rich you are, how famous you are. I don't care how much money you have, how nice of a car is. None of that goes with you in life. Okay. You ask Steve Jobs and all these people, none of them can take their billions with them. And so if you think about that, it helps you really reorder what's the priority in life. And it helps you to understand that fighting other people just for the sake of fighting people and trying to tear people down and to physically harm people, to what end? To what end? That doesn't make you live longer. Doesn't make you live better. You know, it's just not, it's, it's, of a, it's a futile um, journey to do something like that. I'm not trying to make it seem like everything's going to be peace and everything like that, but, but my whole thing is let's live, let's figure out a way to live together. So we all can enjoy whatever time we have. Who knows how much time I got? But, but, but let me enjoy my life and I want to enjoy your life. And me enjoying my life does not mean I have to do it at your expense. We both can enjoy life together. Okay. But when you, I tell my kids when we travel, I say, I want you to look up and look at the sun and look at the moon and the stars. Guess what? We're all the way over here in China and the same sun that warms you back home and the same moon that lights up your sky at night, they have the same one. You don't own it. I don't own it. We share it together. And though we feel like we own it, billions of people enjoy this. So this is a universe, a world and earth that we share. We don't own it. And so I just want people to have that kind of, that kind of peacefulness about their existence, about why we have to do what's right. And why we have to be respectful of each other so we all can enjoy whatever time we have here. And it's not a lot. You look at the history of the earth and how much time we got. If you live to be 100, which is very rare, you live to be 100, your little 100 years is like spitting in the Atlantic Ocean. It don't even register. So, you know, be humble. Keep perspective that, you know, as, as bad and tough, as big as you think you are, all of us are just this big when you look at the size of the universe. So I'm going to end it right there on that side of it. Uh, and I want to say, listen, I'm excited about this show. The Doctors has undergone a reformat. I'm the solo host this season. Uh, tomorrow is our uh, 2000 episode, which Karen, you know, in TV is, you know, that's like a lifetime. Um, and we're excited. The show is rejiggered in the sense of we still cover the X's and O's of medicine, but I wanted to expand the show to talk more about lifestyle and wellness. So we have segments about music. I love music. We have segments because music is medicine. We have comedians come on and talk, give us a lighter take on the health news. We have a book club called the Word Power Book Club, where we talk about reading, how important it is for stress relief and learning and being able to travel. So it's a fun show. Tomorrow's show is gonna be all about the last uh, uh, 1999 episodes, I guess, of of all the stuff that we've done. So I hope people will tune in. And if you can't tune in live, go to our website, thedoctorstv.com. But we work really hard in the show to give you guys real information that's credible, that's scientifically based, that's inspirational, 
and we'd like to challenge you. I challenge you guys every day to do better. And I have a little sign out at the end of my show. Every show I, I wrote a sign out uh, and basically says, thanks for joining me. To, thanks for joining me today. Challenge yourself to be a little better. Open your mind, open your heart and have some fun. I'll see you next time. And that to me is life. I wanted to end it there, but um, I'm not going to. Like, <laughs> I was like, that'd be a perfect end. Right? <laughs> like, see y'all tomorrow. Okay. God bless and good night. Yeah. Thank you, Smith. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> Talk to me about this, this um, COVID-19, because we are hitting records and, and you, you touched on it a little bit, but I, you know, it is wellness Wednesday and I need, this to be underlined as we are hitting records, hospitalization, record deaths, record cases. Um, you said there are two ways for us to get through this. Yeah. Say it again, please. Okay. Let me just start. Before I say this, I'm going to say this to people. If you follow me on Instagram and you don't like what I'm going to say, just don't follow me because I don't, all I can do is speak truthful to you guys. And even sometimes the truth hurts. I just have to be honest with you guys. Karen, my whole career has been being honest with people. And so I'm going to be very honest. And some people on IG were upset because I was saying things, but this is, it's not me. This is what the science is. I believe there are two ways to get through COVID. The first way is that we are going to have to do some type of national lockdown in the country. Let me explain what I mean by that. People and industries that are non-essential are going to have to shut down and allow people to stay home unless they're going to do something like going to the doctor's office, going to the store, that's different, getting food, but it's only essential activities. And the reason is because people have to understand, I know the public is, public doesn't like this, but, but you guys haven't studied virology, the study of viruses. I mean, this is what we do as experts. Viruses work by infecting what's called a host. Sometimes the animal is the host. Sometimes humans are a host. A virus doesn't care if you're a Democrat or Republican, if you're black or white, old or young. If you're a living body, the virus can infect you. That's what it does. It doesn't discriminate. And in order for us to really get these numbers down, we have got to shut down together. You can't have four states shut down and the rest open. You can't have one city down and the other ones open because it's like whack-a-mole. Remember, New York was up high first. New York is now down. California's up. Then Georgia's up. Then Illinois now is back up. This is how it goes. This is how a virus pandemic works because the virus is active. So even if you are, are, are practicing good behavioral protocol and it may be good for your little area, that's great. But the minute you come out of your shell and you interact with someone who's infected, you now have it. And then you bring it back to your shell, now you're up again. So the country has to shut down. By that I mean is that we have to freeze everything, which means if people can't go to work, we have to freeze credit card bills. We have to freeze loan payments. We have to free, everything has to freeze together. The problem is that the last lockdown is lumpy. Well, you know, you can't go to work or you lost your job at work, but we're still gonna co collect the rent or the bank still wants this interest. No, 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 no. We gotta suffer together. So. I think a four to six week national lockdown, keeping things that are essential open for someone goes off of me now, things that are, are essential things, but you know, leisure travel, uh, interstate travel, planes, buses, trains, we don't need that. Now, the other way it could work is the vaccine, but I have to explain to people. Number one, the vaccine has to be effective. That's the first thing. Number two, 
in order for the vaccine to work, two thirds of the population must get the vaccine. It won't work if just 50 million people get it because the other 275 million, they're vulnerable and they're gonna still, they're gonna still be host for the virus and then it still stays alive. So we gotta get two thirds of the population to get it. And then here's the third part of it. We gotta produce enough of it. Remember guys, America is not the only country that needs vaccinations. <laughs> the whole world is looking for it. So we have to be able to produce billions of vaccines, shots for people. That's gonna take months. So anyone who thinks that just because they announce that we have a vaccine, that it's over, no, 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 no. We're still in it. We still have to be safe, wear our masks, practice social distancing. It's probably gonna take, honestly, and you know, I could be wrong, but I'm just speculating here and guessing, it's probably gonna take, after they announce they really have it, it's gonna take at least five or six months before most of it's available to us. That's just how it works. You can't rush it. You can't rush science. Science doesn't work based on political desires. Science doesn't work based on election dates. It's science. This is something that's been happening since the beginning of time. And all of a sudden, people want science to be something that it's not. Science doesn't have a clock. The only clock on science is truth. That's it. And it takes what it takes to make it happen. That's it. That's not it because the doctors, 2000th episode tomorrow, but Dr. Ian K. Smith, boy, he come for the games today. I love you so much. And we're going to be tuning in and supporting you and buying your books and staying in touch because I we got to have these conversations. Come back anytime, brother. You know you have an open seat here. You know, I love you. Karen, you're right. Our careers have grown together. I remember you back at the New York Daily News. And uh, I can't wait till we can sit down together and have a nice meal and just reminisce about how far we've come and all the things, all the hurdles that we've been able to get over, get through or get around. So I appreciate you. Oh, the book is The Unspoken, guys. I hope you like this book. It's a lot of fun. It's on <laughs> Amazon.com and Instagram at Dr. Ian Smith. Spell the doctor out. I-A-N Smith. I love you guys. Thanks for having me. Love you too.